Welcome to the American Buffalo Review recap episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. As is our new custom, I will remind you that if you are listening to this in the Patreon feed, you know that it is a standalone episode. But if you are hearing this in the regular feed, welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 15th, 2022. The 2022 Broadway revival of American Buffalo opened at the Circle in the Square Theater last night with major Hollywood star power bursting at the seams. Starring Tony and Emmy winner Lawrence Fishburne, Emmy winner Darren Criss, and Academy Award winner Sam Rockwell, the show was directed by Neil Pepe and was penned by he who will not be named. The limited run is scheduled to play Broadway through July 10th, and in the show, three small-time hustlers want a bigger cut of the American dream. This play about loyalty and greed returns to Broadway for the fourth time and is more explosive and pointed than ever, exposing a timely American truth. Crime and business are two sides of the same coin. Before we get into the reviews, we should note that just an hour or so before the opening night performance, Darren Chris posted on social media that his wife, television producer Mia Swire, had given birth to the couple's first child, Bluesy Bell Chris. So congratulations to the entire Chris family. Now for what the critics thought about the show. The review aggregator site Did They Like It has collected nine reviews as of this recording, with four being positive and five being mixed, but none were negative. Starting with Jesse Green of the New York Times, who made the show a critic's pick, writing, quote, In the electric revival that opened on Thursday at Circle in the Square, Teach is embodied with coiled and then terrifyingly uncoiled ferocity by Sam Rockwell, making a great occasion of a great role. When he first skitters into the junk shop run by his poker buddy Don, Lawrence Fishburne in a beautifully considered performance, he's already seething about a petty insult and stalking the joint like a rat-peacock hybrid. By the time he inserts himself into a heist Don is planning with his dim young gopher and protege Bobby, played by the angelic if underpowered Darren Chris, he is so hopped up on delusions of profit that he endangers the operation he means to abet. Green also, to his credit, laments the fact that the playwright's abilities have declined considerably since this play debuted in 1975, and it seems to have coincided with his changing worldview. But Green continues his review, writing about the staging in the show's junk shop setting, quote, It is through that junk, behind tables of tchotchkes and items hanging in our sightline, that we see the action, and also see other members of the audience, as if to say we are all in this business together. What Pepe has the actors doing incidentally as they maneuver its cramped aisles is also telling. Don cleaning up, Bobby trailing him like a puppy, Teach idly handling the merchandise. And yet, perhaps, not so idly. The items he chooses to twiddle include dumbbells and boxing gloves and a thing that they stick in dead pigs to keep their legs apart as all the blood runs out. Pretty telling. Helen Shaw writing for Vulture was mixed, but she wrote, quote, so, are the performances good? They are. Sam Rockwell and Lawrence Fishburne, and to a less spectacular extent, Darren Chris, are clearly reveling in material worth their impressive stage medal. Is the production good? Oh, certainly. It holds up Mammoth's, there I said his name, but it's a quote, so it doesn't count, 1975 text like a coin, making it wink in the light. But is the play good? There, now there you have me. Because American Buffalo works as it used to work, or at least every time I've seen it, as a vivid comic indictment of warped American posturing and language. It's just that now we wonder, 
given its creator's wild fall from sense, if its raillery might also have some other function. Time Out New York's Adam Feldman gave the show four out of five stars, writing, quote, directed by Neil Pepe with the expert eye for appraisal that the characters lack, this production is vastly superior to American Buffalo's last Broadway incarnation, which ran briefly back in 2008. The play itself, which marked Mammoth, there I did it again, breakthrough, is as thin as a dime, but it's got great atmospherics. Finally, Ranchia writing for Did They Like It was mixed, saying, quote, there is no denying the technical merits of the production. From the meticulous designs to the dynamic scene work between the performers on top of their game, everything is well executed. And yet, the story itself feels formulaic, as does the structure. One might argue that those are the marks of a classic, and in 1975, perhaps it was groundbreaking. But I can't help but wonder, are we simply trying to squeeze out values from a junk shop piece out of nostalgia, even though we've evolved away from it? Interesting, but perhaps not surprising. Most of the reviews raved about the performances and the direction, but we're quick to note that the piece by a not-so-well-loved playwright hasn't aged particularly well. Okay, that's all of the reviews that I'm going to go into today, but we will have links to the Did They Like It and Broadway World roundups in the show notes. So if you are listening to this in Patreon, have a wonderful rest of your day, and don't forget to check the feed at 8 a.m. on Friday for a really special episode that I am tickled to be able to share with all of you. And if you are hearing this in the regular feed, I will turn it over to me from six hours ago with Ashley Steves for the rest of Today on Broadway. Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 15th. Uh, not tax day, actually. So no. we'll get to that. <laughs> 2022, I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanen. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. I didn't realize that taxes weren't due on Friday when I mentioned it on Monday's show, yeah. so I, hopefully I didn't freak anybody out. Taxes are due Monday, the 18th. I didn't because even... Because of the Easter holiday, I assume. Yeah, I completely forgot about Easter. And also, as I said, like I'm file, filing an extension, so it, it didn't even occur to me that you were talking shite, so... Yeah, sorry. I don't know. What else is new? (laughs) Yeah, anyway, um, what else is new is since the last time I was on Today on Broadway, I've had two special episodes keeping my streak up, hoping to go five for five on the weekdays with special episodes and then a This Week on Theater, This Week in Theater on Saturday. Um, On Wednesday afternoon, my interview with Paradise Square star AJ Shively was released. AJ, like me, is a Central Ohio native, so we got Ah, into all of that. Then on Thursday, I talked with uh, John Riddle, the current um, Raul and fan of the opera, who, like me, is an Ohio native. He's from Cleveland. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at first. Well, there were everywhere. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, John, if you could listen to our conversation, I started recording before I was actually like going to do the episode. We were just chatting and he asked where I was from. And so we got into that. So I didn't even know. So it was not planned. Uh, Mm -hmm, But both of those episodes are in the podcast feed now. And I can tease exclusively here the episode coming out on Friday also with the Central Ohio native. And I know this for a fact. Are you like microchipped or something? No, but this one I know for a fact that he's a Central Ohio native. Because I went to high school with him. Ah, uh, yeah, so, that's right. That, so one's, that one's fair. <laughs> that, this one's fair. I, I, I've been teasing this all week. I am talking with current Broadway Harry Potter Steve Haggard, who sure. I did multiple shows with in high school. So we talk about... Which ones? 
Um, I think the first one would have been uh, Scapino, written by uh, oh. Jim Dale, which is um, a, an adaptation of a Moliere play in which mm. he, um, Steve actually played like it's like an Italian uh, thing where um, very much like Forum, where it's a slave trying to get his freedom. Um, I was Scapino's owner. I was Octavius, I think oh. my name was. So we did that. We did the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge together. We did sure. Schoolhouse Rock Live together. We did oh. another like a noirish comedy, The Lady Cries Murder. This was in high school? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did weird shows in high school. <laughs> The complete works of William Shakespeare abridged in I Schoolhouse mean, Rock Live. Like, yeah, I feel like those are a bit. Those are a bit weird. I feel like maybe I. No. We just did really common ones. Maybe though. Yeah. I mean, we did Lil Abner, so I guess that's not that common. But yeah, my mom did Lil Abner in high school. So. Everyone did Lil anyway, Abner in high school, yeah. except apparently you, who did Moliere. Well, no, no, no. This was a Jim Dale <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. modern thing. Whatever. Anyway. Um, so those episodes will all be there because um, this is a holiday weekend. I said we will have an episode of this week in theater in the podcast feed on Saturday. I believe. This week on Broadway will also be coming out on Saturday. They're going to record early um, because of the holiday. So you will have lots of content if you're traveling to and fro for holiday celebrations. But let's get into the news today, Ashley. And we're going to start out of town with two stories coming to you with Broadway stars but not on Broadway. The first one comes from the Muni in St. Louis, where they announced the principal casting for the final show of their 104th season, which throws me off a little bit. I don't know why you announced the final show casting, um, but this one will be Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat running from August 12th through the 18th. It will star Jessica Vosk as the narrator, nice. Jason Gote as nice. Joseph, Eric Jordan Young as Jacob slash Potiphar slash Guru, and Michael, Michael Kilgore as Pharaoh. Um, Very nice on both. Yeah, like Jessica was one of the folks who did the narrator at the um uh that was at a Master Voices concert just right before the pandemic. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh Andy Carl and Orfe played Potiphar and his wife and 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 all that stuff. I feel like Michael Kilgore was involved in that uh production as well. Um I know Alex Newell was one of the other narrators. Yeah, it was Alex Newell, Jessica Vosk, and Eden Espinosa um Ooh. rotating the narrator in that. But this will be very exciting. Um it, uh, they've already announced the cast for their production of Chicago, which is the same cast that got shut down last summer. Um uh, but they also have Camelot, Mary Poppins, Sweeney Todd, Legally Blonde and the Color Purple coming up. I've already said I will be there for Legally Blonde and Cam- Casting will determine whether I'm also there for Sweeney Todd or the color purple, uh, but we will have to wait and see on that. I'm going to have to make a trip. It's just kind of inevitable at this point. Obviously for Sweeney. It's just kind of inevitable. It's such a good season. And I, like I've talked about on the show, I have never been and I very much wanted to go. So this may finally be the season number 104. 104 seasons. I mean, you almost went to season one or, uh, damn it. I screwed that joke up. I was going to make an old joke, but that's okay. (laughs) Anyway. Good good one. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so let's go from St. Louis to Nashville to Music City as the upcoming world premiere musical May We All, colon, a new country musical announced its principal casting. This is a show, if you remember, that um, it'll be a jukebox musical featuring songs from a whole host of country music stars, including Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton, Johnny Cash, Casey Musgraves, Keith Urban, Kenny Chesney, Little Big Town, Tim McGraw, Miranda Lambert, and many, many others as well. The show will star Bly Voth, Patsy Detroit, Ryan Link, Lauren Lolo Pritchard, who uh, Grace and I just saw in the Spring Awakening reunion concert uh, back in the fall. And the reason that I'm excited about this, the one and the only, the great and the good Heidi Blickenstaff, uh, who I yes. absolutely adore Heidi Blickenstaff. Of course. This- This show will run at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center in Nashville from June 7th through July 17th. Um, I'm interested about this. I I don't, uh, you know, I I think we talked, I I think it was you and I who talked about this when this show was Mm -hmm. originally announced. I think the idea of having country music musicals is a really interesting one because of the nature of so much, especially of the classic songs um, in in country music that are story-based. I think that makes sense. I also think that, it gives reason for audiences who wouldn't normally come to musical theater to come to musical theater. So I'm interested to see how this will work. And I don't know most of these folks, but you throw Heidi Blickenstaff on something and I'm going to be interested. I also think it has a lot of potential as far as like a touring show if they wanted to, because you start thinking at like yeah. rural communities that are obviously going to enjoy country music more than the cities do, except for, you know, the Southern cities. But I think this is honestly, it's really, exciting. You mentioned the fact that country music has a lot of story songs, which it does. I don't know that I would necessarily pick these people. Like, I would want more Marty Robbins or something like that in here for that. But they also have to have newer people. (laughs) Um, And and then, of course, you have people like Dolly and Johnny Cash, who are obviously eternal. Well, and I do think from my base level of modern country music, I know folks like um, Little Big Town, Casey Musgraves. Um, Love some Casey. You know, yeah, Miranda Lambert, even Tim McGraw, uh, Zach Brown band who are in there. Like, I think they do rely a little bit more on the the country western totally. roots than some of those other folks. Although L- Florida Georgia Line um, is in here as well, which is a little bit more rock country. And the guys from Florida Georgia Line, Brian Kelly and Tyler Hubbard, are actually um, r- writing two original songs for the show as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Brooks and Dunn are in there as well. And, you know, so they're kind of like – traditional old school country guys as well. So I also um, interesting. I also would not be surprised if some of the curation of this had to do politically as well. If I'm well, going to be honest. Can, and how much rights called Loretta Lynn's yeah. in there too, who I didn't mention who I should have in terms of classic sure, country of artists. So, um, so we will see. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm somebody who was born and raised in the Midwest in my yeah. mom and <laughs> sister, you know, Loved country music and I liked country yes, music, indeed. so I'm I'm interested to see how this goes. I know it well, and Heidi Blickenstaff for president, who is Ugh. obviously criminally underrated and underused. Like, can yeah. we just get yes. more for her? My God. Please. Anyway. All right. Moving on. Um, it was announced yesterday, even though technically it was announced in many cities across the country, including Orlando, that Beetlejuice will launch a national tour starting in December of this year at San Francisco's Golden Gate Theater. They have already announced stops in Los Angeles, Seattle, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., um, down here in Orlando, and many, many others. Uh, if you want to go 
figure out if they are coming to your neck of the woods, head over to the Beetlejuice website. They have the full list of uh, currently scheduled tour stops there. All right. So let's move off Broadway here, Ashley. Earlier this week, the long awaited off Broadway debut of Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman's musical Harmony opened up uh, off Broadway. It is currently playing at the or through the National Yiddish Theater Folksbane. And um, this has had a really difficult process of trying to get. Um, mm-hmm. originally to Broadway and now at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust. Um, it opened up, uh, I believe, in 1998 out in California uh, in what was supposed to be an out-of-town tryout. That didn't happen. Uh, Manilow and Sussman continued to work on it. It has now been directed and choreographed by Warren Carlyle and is playing off-Broadway through May 8th. Overall, the reviews were pretty good. Uh, not yeah. great, uh, but better than mixed. Uh, I'll just go through a few of them real quickly here. Elizabeth Vincentelli, writing for the New York Times. It's always great. I love her reviews, and it's yeah. so great that they are using her. Obviously, this month of all month, they're like, hey, can you go do like the Little Prince and the Off-Broadway stuff while <laughs> yeah, Maya and Jesse, cast. Yeah, they need all the stringers to come in. But anyway, um, Elizabeth wrote, quote, uh, Manilow, Sussman, and Carlisle mostly succeed in balancing the shifting moods, which is no easy feat because they must shuffle broad humor and, well, Nazis. The comedian in the band's name was to be taken literally, for example, with the singer uh, and the singers were as famous for their stage antics and novelty songs as for their tight singing. The downside is that there is a thin line between speedy and rushed, and the men are drawn in brushstrokes. A pair of love interests, Mary, played by Sierra Bogus, and Ruth, played by Jesse Davidson, are even less than that. One is loving, the other feisty, and that's pretty much it. Despite that, Vincitelli did make the show a critic's pick. Raven Snook, writing for Time Out in New York, gave the show three out of five stars, and she said, quote, Harmony is a memory musical about a time we must never forget. But although Harmony is engaging and heartfelt, it peters off into historical hokum. Okay. Um, Juan A. Ramirez, writing for Theaterly, said, quote, Dips into melodrama aside, the comedian Harmonis story is one that, as one of them points out from the jump, is barely known today. Manilow and Sussman's work to keep their legacies alive is admirable, and what their musical lacks in out-of-the-boxness, it more than makes up for through the classic art of storytelling and unsung story well. <laughs> in this case, it's sung gorgeously and six times over. So, um, like I said, this show is running through May 8th, um, features in addition to C.R. Bagus, who I mentioned, uh, Chip Zion. Um, Hell yeah. So, that's always worth seeing. They are yeah. not the stars of the show, but they are certainly um, the biggest names in the cast, even if they are not the biggest names associated with the show, yeah. with uh, Manilow being involved. I was going to say, Chip Zion is always the star of the show in my heart. but <laughs> Yes, of course. Uh, this is I, I kind of didn't know what to make of this, so I think all like overall Same. I'm just happy to have it open so I can get some grasp of what this show is gonna be. And I mean it sounds like it's sung well and has a lot of great storytelling aspects to it and is just otherwise hurried. Like they needed either a better edit or a longer show here is kind of what it's sounding like. Yeah. And after almost 30 years or whatever, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe work on that. Maybe. Um, 
Let's move to some more show and casting news. And starting off Broadway, yesterday, Playwrights Horizons announced the cast and creative team for the world premiere of Will Arbery's new play, Corsicana. The new play will begin previews on June 2nd, open on June 22nd, and is currently scheduled to run through July 10th. But based off every other Will Arbery show, chances are it's going to Mm. extend many, many times because everything he does is basically gold at this point. Whether you like it or not, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. um, Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Uh, still hate it. it. Still hate but it. Anyway. Sorry. Um, We're like the two in all of it was theater, fine. I guess. I didn't I hate it. it. I, I saw, hated I, it. I saw the streaming version. I thought it was fine. I saw um, the in-person version and you, hated you it. You did not. Yeah. <laughs> um, this one is seems to be sticking at least to the same kind of settings um, as some of Arbery's other shows. Corsicana takes place in a small town in Texas of the same name, Corsicana, Texas, and follows siblings Jenny, a woman with Down syndrome, and Christopher, her half-brother, in the wake of their mother's death as close family friend Justice brings them together with Lot, an artist and outsider, to the local community. Sam Gold is directing this show, and it features Jamie Brewer from Amy and the Orphans fame as Jenny, the sister with Down syndrome. Will Dagger will be playing Christopher. The great Deirdre O'Connell will be playing Justice. And Harold Surratt, there you go. Um, (laughs) we'll be playing Lot. Um, going from playwrights. Oh, what's that? No, I just said, all right, I'm, I'm back in. You mentioned Deirdre O'Connell and you mentioned that the rest of the cast. And I, look, I'm willing to give everyone's work, unless their name is David Mama, a try. So. Yeah. Good for you. Very big of you. Very (laughs) big of you. Thank you. Uh, so going from Playwrights Horizons to MCC, next up, they announced the full casting for the world premiere of Soft, which is all in lowercase, just for mm-hmm. all of you style folks there. Um, the new play by Danye R. Love, directed by Whitney White. The show will begin uh, performances off-Broadway on May 12th, set to open on June 6th and play through June 19th. Again, with lots of Danye's show yeah. Chances are extensions are possible as well. Much better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The featured cast includes Leon Addison Brown, Biko Eisen Martin, Duran Jones, who you might recognize that name. He was who came in and replaced as Riff in the Eva Van Hova production of West Side Story after the original mm-hmm. the original Riff got hurt slash might have gotten fired because he was goofing Whoops. off and not doing what he was supposed to do. But Duran Jones was um got great reviews for for his performance in that show. Um, also in the cast is Essence Lotus, Travis Rayburn, Shakur Tolliver, Dario Vasquez, and Ed Ventura. Um, the show follows a correctional boarding school teacher, Mr. Isaiah, and his response to one of his students dying by suicide. Um, during the run of this show, MCC will also host Black Theater Nights, which it does fairly regularly, and, and they will mm-hmm. also have queer and here showings as well. Sticking off Broadway, yesterday, the Classic Stage Company announced the successor to John Doyle as the producing artistic director, and that is Jill Rafson. Um, very exciting because I think she comes to this role with a very different background than mm-hmm. what John Doyle has. Um, Jill Rafson is currently um, a new play development leader at the Roundabout Theater Company, um, and uh, this this new role for her will begin on June 21st. Um, she has been with Roundabout since 2005. Yeah, wow. And listen to some of the plays that she's helped develop for RTC. The Humans, Bad Jews, Usual Girls, and Stephen Levinson's If I Forget. 
She's also served as a dramaturg for the Eugene O'Neill National Playwriters Conference, um, the Playwright Center, Faultline, the Flea Theaters, the Mysteries, um, as well as working with Candace Bushnell, Zoe Sarnak, and Iris Rainier Darter. Pretty um, good. Yeah, so she's got a tremendous resume. I think she's and, worked with City Center and the League as well, too, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, she's worked with the Broadway League, City Center, as well as ART New York. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a member of of uh, NYFA's Emerging Arts Leader Program and done a bunch of other stuff. So very, very exciting for this. And I'm, you know, I appreciate John Doyle's, uh, you know, sensibilities, like artistic sure. sensibilities in terms of what he's done at CSC. I've only seen a couple of shows there, but I, I think if you're going to be committed to doing classic shows, whatever the term classic means, they should have some sort of a different approach and not just try to recreate smaller versions of the original productions, which obviously we've seen him do with most of his shows on or off Broadway. Um, So I'm sure based off of her track record, Jill will continue to do that. But I will be interested to see if they do stick to the programming, um, you know, kind of ideas of doing classics and reimagining them or because of her work with new stuff, if they will become an incubator for new projects as well. So um, it will be interesting. I don't yeah. know, uh, especially, I mean, she's currently Associate Artist- Artistic Director at Roundabout. So, I mean, the works that she's done lately has been like Trouble in Mind, Carolina Change, um, uh, Rose Tattoo, Important of Being Earnest. So, she definitely has like yeah. the background of having brought these new shows and or these old shows and bringing them into a new light. So, I think, uh, you know, if I was to look at anyone's resume based on all that, I think she is absolutely the person for the job. And I'm very excited to see see what she's going to do. Absolutely. All right. Are you sitting down? I am sitting down as per my job. Yes. So um, here is quite possibly the biggest news that I know you have been waiting for for months and years. (laughs) On Thursday, TV Line reported that the CW TV show Riverdale will be returning to its annual musical episode. And this year, no, they are not doing a Sondheim show. Instead, they are taking (laughs) on American Psycho, the musical. Which is interesting because American Psycho, the musical, features a book by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, yeah. who is the creator and executive producer of the TV yeah. show Riverdale. Yeah, um, he really also was, inception-y here. Yeah, he is also the person that they brought in to try to fix uh, Spider-Man uh, Turn Out the Lights, uh, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Turn Off I don't the remember. Dark, yeah. Whatever, what a horrible name. Um, but <laughs> Roberto Guerra is not only a playwright, um, he has also been well-steeped in the comic book world for a long time, which is how mm-hmm. he got involved with Riverdale. He wrote um, kind of like an, an Archie After Dark comic. I think it was actually Archie After Dark um, comic Archie, for a lot of years. Archie, colon, Turn Off the Dark. Archie, yes. Um, here's the thing. I was, I've never, I watched half of one episode of Riverdale, but I was under the impression that they fast forwarded a few seasons ago so that they are no longer in high school. So I don't know if this is just going to be like a concept like episode, how they're going to incorporate this. Cause like in originally they did like Casey Cott, uh, his character was directing high school Uh productions of these shows. Now that they are not in high school, I don't know if it's just going to be like, the storylines are going to mimic American Psycho, and then they're going to sing some of the songs from the show from the uh, the Duncan Sheik school. Now in the business world and killing their coworkers and all that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I have no concept of Riverdale as a show other than the fact that it exists. So. It does exist. It does, it does exist. exist. They do exist. 
They do exist, yes. Um, all right, so um, let's wrap up the show with a feel-good recommendation. Playbill has a look um, at some really cool set and costume designs for the upcoming uh, ART Broadway-aimed production of 1776 that we've been talking about recently. Um, Diane Paulus and Jeffrey L. Page are the co-directors of this, and they have a, a large gallery of images from scenic designer Scott Pask and costume designer um, Emilio Sosa, lighting designer Jennifer Schraver, um, and some other stuff as well. Um, but it's really cool. It looks like they are taking on a fairly modern um approach to this which is not new mm-hmm. for 1776 i think when they did it at encores was it encores a couple years ago with santino fontana they were all yeah. in like modern suits and stuff so that's not new completely but it it looks less like oh this is a modern thing where everybody's you know it's all women and non-binary folks and trans uh, actors as well but it's not like oh this is just like what they would be wearing if they were currently those people it mm-hmm. looks like it's a little bit more funky maybe a little bit more earthy um you know like wood slatted mm. stage floor um so i don't know it looks like there might be a little bit of a unique look at this show which uh, i'm all for i've said i, I love 1776 exactly. so i'm excited say, for this yeah i feel like you can do pretty much anything with this show at this point and it will still stand up well because mm-hmm. it's that it's a great very of a show. show oh yeah. yeah absolutely so do with do with it whatever you please just don't hurt the book yeah and don't you dare cut a second from the longest scene in musical theater history without music there is a 30 uh, there is a 30 minute scene where they're in between songs yeah um which has always been fascinating to me um and as far as i know it still maintains the fact that it is the longest scene in a musical without music so fun fact for you to end the show there you go all right everybody <laughs> that's all that we have for today thank you for listening to today on broadway follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at broadway radio and you can find me on twitter and instagram at bww matt Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. Don't forget another special episode with me and my high school co-star Steve Haggard in the feed later today. We will also have This Week in Theater and This Week on Broadway coming up on Saturday for my part of This Week in Theater. I talked with somebody over at Equity um, about this crazy waitress tour thing. So some great insight on that in the episode coming up tomorrow. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll be back to talk to you on Monday. Monday.